This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to this edition of the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. I am your host, John Solberg, and this edition is being brought to you by The Butcher Shop. Purveyors of highly sought after 100% Australian non-crossbred Wivara 9 Plus briskets, and as always, they are handpicked just for you. The Butcher Shop has been retailing the finest meats for the past 15 years. Every week, they're shipping out competition quality meats to many of the biggest teams in the competition scene across the nation. Simply put, teams who use the Butcher Shop win, and they win often. So you're not a competitor, but you still have an eye for the finer cuts in life? Great news for you. The Butcher Shop is shipping some of the finest prime, dry-aged Australian Wagyu and Japanese Wagyu steaks to people just like you and me who aspire to be the kings and queens of their cul-de-sacs. The Butcher Shop always has a Berkshire, Compart Duroc, Allegiance Duroc, and Prairie Fresh all-natural porks in stock, and again, always hand-picked for you. Now, you might be saying, John, oh, that sounds fantastic, but what about some exotic stuff? Rest easy knowing the butcher shop can get your next elk steak or camel roast. They're going to ship it out promptly. Yes, that's right. They can get you some camel. So let's review the best competition briskets. Check. The best pork selection. Check. Giving you better overall options to cook at home. Check. So give the butcher shop a call today. 850-458-8782. That's 850-458-8782. Mention the Barbecue Central Show for 10% off your entire order each and every time. You can also act with them. You can also interact with them on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash the butcher shop. Shop being spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. The Butcher Shop, home of the 100% Australian non-crossbred Wylara 9 Plus Briskets. And today's show is something a little bit different. Gonna totally break format because it is episode 200. Let's catch up with Greg Rempe today. Hello, Greg. Thanks so much for coming on to the 200th episode of the Best Moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 Minutes or Less. I'm super excited to talk to you today, kind of pick up where we left on episode 100. Can you believe that was 100 weeks ago was the last time we sat down and had this chat? Couldn't be more honored to be part of your brand. John, I have to say, now that we are 200 in, what you're doing, and I don't know if people can really appreciate what it is that you're doing. You have been tasked voluntarily to listen to old shows, some really old shows, which in essence means some really bad shows as well. And you're listening to whole shows. So two hours, sometimes a little bit more than two hours. And you're listening to each segment that encompasses those two hours. And then you're deciding at that point if that particular segment might make a bar that you have set to be a best moments potential. And then if that does, then trying to piece out out of a 15 or 20, 25 minute interview, what are the best 10 minutes? And it might be a piece and it might be a combination of different portions of one interview. There is a tremendous amount. As somebody who appreciates and knows the painstaking time and effort of editing stuff, which is really the most important part in any type of video or audio production, this is an incredible feat, and the fact that we are now here at 200 and realize that within this space, there are very few other podcasts that are at 200 episodes. I think I can name two or three, uh, my show, 
which I don't even know if it counts since this one is directly related. There's the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less now at 200. I think uh, Man is Barbecue is plus 200. And then Kevin's Barbecue Joint is probably well into 200. But outside of that, I don't think anybody approaches us. So between you and me, John, we have two of the longest running live fire podcasts out there today. And that's stellar. And, it, you know, it doesn't seem like it's been a long time. It seems like I just started. Uh, seems like I'm just figuring this out as I go. And I, and I, do, I do appreciate the longevity of the show because it's helped me get better, helped me find a better process, hopefully deliver a better product to your listeners. The thing that I like best is hearing the growth. I was just on an interview two nights ago. I don't know when it's going to come out with the guys at Baseball and Barbecue, and they were asking me about the trust issues that I will casually bring up during the show. And I said, look, this is a real thing, because for as long as my show has been available, it has only been me. I'm the guy that hosts it. I'm the guy that preps it. I'm the guy that runs the production and the engineering. You know, all this stuff that you can't see in front of me because it's behind the camera. It's all only been me. So uh, there are inherent trust issues for me at this point to want to turn anything over to anybody else that has to do with my brand. Now, I knew when we talked initially about this concept that you were definitely the guy that was, it was either going to be you or nobody else. You have the voice, you have the equipment, you have the know-how, you had hosted a podcast of your own for a while. So you had the, the elements to be successful, but then I had to get out of my own way and shut up and not interject everything that I think I would do or I would want to do and let you build your brand within the, the umbrella of the Barbecue Central Show brand. And, and you have done such a great job from listening to that very first episode one open to where we are at episode 199 before this. The transformation, it's not been like magical or you sucked so bad at number one and you're so great at 199. You were really good to start with, but the nuance and just the polish and the way that you're speaking in the intros and outros is so good. And then, of course, the editing for the meat of the segments are incredible. I mean, you are certainly a master. So I am overwhelmingly appreciative that you continue to do it. And not only are you not detracting from the brand, you are increasing the value, which to me is the most important part. And I have you to thank for it. And I am <clears throat> so appreciative that you do such a great job. Thank you very much. Thank you for the kind words. And uh, before we move on, I just want to note, um, I come to your brand to support your brand. My tagline in my personal side business and barbecue hustle is it's about your brand. It's not about mine. So as long as you always keep that in focus, it is about the barbecue central show. The barbecue central show is an important part of barbecue history. I've mentioned recently in an episode that Barbecue historians will use your show as reference material because you have captured every single major event, competition, series, winners, losers, manufacturers. It's the only place it exists. So I couldn't be prouder to, to be part of the brand. And thank you again for the kind words. Absolutely. I do. I would like to ask you a question about your cooking prowess. And over the years, I've realized that a lot of folks don't necessarily see you as a accomplished backyard cook they see you as a guy well-versed in the industry with a great show but i'd like to shed some light on the fact that you sir are an accomplished backyarder a chef who shall go unnamed once called you a pit master and it still sticks in my head maybe we shouldn't bring that up let's kind of pick up where we left off on episode 100 and there will be a link in the show notes today to take you back to that episode as a listener if you haven't caught up with that yet so we can skip over some of the nitty gritty. 
tell us about your cooks and your cookers once you kind of got into having a Genesis and having a Smoky Mountain. Where did your stable move forward from that point? And how did you accelerate into your barbecue style? The cookers came on board almost magically. I think there was a, a key point, as we often refer to on the show, is that golden era of barbecue when you saw it on TV and everybody was everybody was getting into it. Whether they were, were deciding at that point they wanted to also jump into the competition trail or they just wanted to be better backyard folks, that also enlisted the people that were in the business of barbecue to make different cookers, better cookers than what was currently out there. So we were all benefiting from it, and I was benefiting from it because I was hosting a show that was covering it. So I had a number of companies that would that I still can't name out loud that just messaged me and said, hey, we don't want anything to do with promotion to the show. We don't want to be mentioned, none of this, but we want to send you grills, and all we want you to do is cook on them. All we want you to do is every week or every two weeks, send us back a list of things that you continue to like and things that you would like to change and how the cooker is weathering over time and review the cover and all this other stuff. That's all I had to do. So I didn't have to, it wasn't an in-kind thing. It was really a true R&D type of relationship where I could have one of those first models of cookers and then tell the folks that made it how it was aging and how it was cooking and how as a potential consumer, things that I might want to see that would bring value, but also keep within the vision that they had for the cooker. So, you know, I grew a couple pellet cookers that way. Um, some sponsors of the show that uh, like Green Mountain Grills, uh, you know, sent me pellet cookers. That was really my biggest growth portion was somebody who had, I don't know if I would say vehemently disliked pellet cookers back in the beginning of the show, but I was certainly not a champion of them. And then getting my hands on one, being reluctant to want to like it, but then having it win my heart over, that was the biggest growth portion. And then offset cookers, I got a free close from a guy that lived 20, 25 minutes south of me, who was also a cooker accumulator, as I would call him. So I just waited and waited for him to just continue to get more cookers. And then I was like, okay, well, now he's got two or three other cookers on top of this close. I know he's not using it. So I'm just going to make the ask. So I made the ask. And he's like, hey, if you come down with a trailer, you can take it away today. So all of a sudden, I'm in a 42-inch close offset pit, which if you aren't familiar with close, he's one of the most prolific and premier offset pit manufacturers out there in Texas. And I learned how to use an offset. And that was quite a learning curve because I didn't really know a lot of folks. My main knowledge base of folks was at that point on virtual Weber Bullet and they were running a lot of bullet style cookers. If it wasn't the Weber Smoky Mountain, it was a bullet style cooker. So there was a lot of minion method talk and using a guru for temperature control. And this was a different monster. So uh, that took a lot of trial and error and learning how to draft and learning how to build the fire. And then more importantly, how to keep a fire, which I ended up becoming very proficient at. And, and I really liked it. It's still my favorite way to cook any kind of barbecue if I have the time. And then I uh, graduated into a competitor for a ceramic cooker. It was called the Bubba Keg. It was a steel or, or aluminum fixture. It looked like a keg of beer, but it had all of the other trappings of what a ceramic cooker had, except the ceramics. It wasn't ceramic, but it, it was filled with commercial-grade insulation. It was dual-walled. It had a great, um, it had a great like, commercial-grade gasket around the lid or the, the top 
and then where the, the top and the cooking body came to meet each other. That was like the biggest bitch you'd hear from Big Green Egg users was that felt gasket was something that would burn if it got too hot, and then you were stuck replacing that, and that was kind of a pain in the ass. Well, they eliminated that by using uh, similar to what you would find around your oven at your home, just one of those commercial-grade gaskets, and that worked really well. Um, I got a couple other Weber Smoky or uh, a couple other Weber kettle grills. I think at one point I was up towards a dozen uh, or 15 different cookers. And then I realized at one point it was just too many. And then I decided to start really keeping tabs on which ones I were using. And then I would start to gift some of the other ones away. And, uh, that, you know, that's what it. So now I'm in an arsenal of a couple pellet cookers. I have, uh, you know, the offset and I have a gas grill and a kettle grill. And at this point in my life, that's, you know, what I have, that's what meets my needs. And I can still have multiples to choose from. I can employ all of them at the same time with different cooking methods all happening at the same time in them if I want to. And it, it allows me the variety that I would like to. So, I mean, I want to have as much grills as the next guy, but at some point, Having too much is just having too much. Do you find yourself cooking on your kettle grills with straight charcoal very often, or or are you tend to stay in the pellet and, and gas realm? Yeah, uh, I would say by and large, grilling wise, it's gas. And then I do grill a lot with charcoal still. I love, so there's a difference. I, I forgot another cooker that I have. It's uh, the, the Pit Barrel Junior. And I don't use that as much because... I have other people in the house, right? I got a wife. I got three daughters when everybody's home in the summer now, and they don't have a specific fancy for the perfuming of charcoal that hanging meat with the fat drippings on the charcoal give you. Um, I, I like it, but I have to also appeal to the masses in the house. But charcoal grilling allows me where, you know, I can keep it indirect if I have to, but doing quick cooks over charcoal is different than doing long cooks over charcoal as I've come to find. And, that's what my family will eat, the quicker cooks over charcoal. And I just love the the flavor and if it can I would always rather choose some kind of live fire source. Granted, gas is a live fire source, but there's way more control over that. Even with charcoal, if you know what you're doing right, something weird could happen and you have to be checking in on it every so often. So uh, I would say gas grill first, then charcoal grill, and then for anything barbecue related, unless I have the time. Open weekend, uh, always firing up the offset because I have A, a surplus of wood, and B, I think the flavor that an offset pumps out is non is incomparable to everything else. I love it. Are there any cookers out there that you haven't touched that you would like to? I've never really cooked on a straight-up ceramic cooker, so I would love to maybe have one of those just to see if I could then maybe thin down some of the herd. That I currently have. I haven't ever cooked on a cabinet style charcoal smoker, like uh, the old spice wines or the stumps, superior smokers, some of those. Um, and then I have never cooked on a Kalamazoo hybrid cooker, which I would really, really love to cook on at least once in my life. And if I could figure out a way to do a partnership with them where they would feel com comfortable enough to just send me one, that would be the most ideal way. But I can't spend $20,000 on a cooker for sure. But those are the first ones to jump off. I've, I've really touched or cooked on most everything else at least once. Do you have a particular favorite? I mean, we know that the best barbecue flavor in your mind comes off of an offset. 
if that's a fair statement. Yes. And uh, and would what's your from that point on? What's your favorite barbecue device of everything you've cooked on beyond the offset? At this point, it's the pellet cooker. For as much as I wanted to kick it in the balls in the beginning, it has become so mainstream, and it's you know the trade off is always going to be the smoke or the amount of smoke that it lays out on the barbecue. So if you're somebody that really likes the heavy perfuming of the smoke, then you're either going to have to find a cooker that has some kind of a smoke boost. I think that's what Weber calls there or a super smoke is Traeger green mountain grills. I think you can run at like 150 and it will, you know, give off some more smoke, but, or you can use those smoke supplements like the amazing tubes and fill it with pellets and light that on fire, but I'm not a huge fan of that. So uh, I'll trade off a little bit of smoke flavor in the end for ease. And they are really easy to use. It's maintaining temperature really well. Obviously do it. If you buy a new one, do the bread test, make sure that it's, make sure you know where the hot and the cool spots are if they have them. I mean, how easy is it to make sure that it's filled with pellets, pick a temperature, and then Continue to make sure it's filled with pellets every so often, depending on how you're cooking and what temperature you're cooking at. I mean, know the, the amount of fuel that you're consuming and make sure you don't run out. But other than that, and then you you can open up an app and control temperature if you want. I'm not a huge fan of that. That's going to be second. There's no doubt. If I have the time offset, yes, but then it's probably going to be one of the pellet cookers. Going off to the left here, do, do many manufacturers still reach out to you and offer to put products in your hand? And do you get a lot of, call them influencer opportunities still today? Not a lot of influencer opportunities. I don't think that my social media numbers appeal to whoever's in charge of the promotions at a particular company. I'm sure that they're looking for statistics only and not necessarily engagement of the following, which I think is the issue. That's a whole thing that we could get into. But I would say here and there, I'll get some some opportunity. But I think with the decline of how popular it was, you know, five or six years ago, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about the competition side of things. The, the backyard side has never been more popular and the numbers prove it out, especially over the last year and a half. It has been the most popular it's ever been. And the variety of things that you can pick and choose from is the most it's ever been. I would be uh, lying if I said I'm contacted all the time. But again, you know, they're kind of big ticket items. So the company has to see the value in me and has to want to ship it to me. And if it's not together and they've ever heard the show, then they have to trust me to put it together, right? So there's a lot of things working against. But I think if a company can see the value of, and not just wanting to give it to me to then promote on the show, I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is. If a company is going to get a hold of me because of the reason you'd set up front, I'm seen more as a guy that moderates and covers a niche of the industry. Um, they don't see me as a, as a cook. I'm not promoting myself as a cook, which is fine. I mean, I know I can cook just fine. I don't, I have zero interest in competing ever for any number of reasons, but I feel that I could go up against all of my neighbors and kick their ass in a food competition. And that would not only include barbecue, but anything else in the kitchen as well. I just like to cook. So I do it a lot, but there has to be some kind of a, of a value for the, cooking company to say, hey, he's representative of the customer base we're trying to go for. So let's get one in his hands and then really have him put it through its paces and then give us the feedback. Um, I don't know if everybody's interested in that. They're probably more interested in saying, I want to get into this guy's hands who's got 50,000 followers on Instagram 
And even if the grill ends up being a piece of crap, as long as it showed once, we're going to get some traffic coming in. So I think that's where the business play is. And there's some manufacturers that are missing the boat on really digging into the R&D and getting into some folks' hands who know what they're doing and then can give them the honest feedback. And you just answered my next question. I was going to ask you to just quickly give your thoughts on, I'll call it the influencer culture, whether you feel that's a positive or negative for the industry as a whole. That's a two-answer question. The first part is going to come off like I'm a jealous bitch because I don't have a huge social media following. But I've never been one to grow. I don't care. I would sacrifice social media following to increase my downloads. And then quickly you can say, well, aren't those going to marry hand in hand? Yes. So I do try and spend time on social media, but it's not, it's not what my focus is. My, my passion isn't there, which is probably why I'm not getting huge offerings from you know a bunch of the real big barbecue and grilling companies out there as far as wanting to send me crap. But I have a lot of crap anyway, so it's, I'm not even feeling like I'm being left out. So that's number one. I think there is a benefit. If, you're, if you have a good social media following, if you have a following that is engaged, and that's what I had referenced earlier, you can have 125,000 followers on Instagram, for instance. And if you make a post, look and see the replies. Like I'm talking directly to marketing departments at big companies right now. When you're seeking out these social media folks, just because they have really big numbers on the follower side doesn't mean that their audience is engaged. It doesn't mean that everybody's seeing it. When they make a post, look below. Do they have four replies? Are there five replies? Or if they have 125,000, are there 100 or 200? Is it commensurate with, is the percentage commensurate with the amount of followers that they have? If you have 125,000 followers and you get four comments, or you have 125,000 followers and you go live on a particular platform and you have three live viewers, your audience is not engaged. So I would caution companies to reach out to those folks. Do some research first. Go back, look at videos, look at posts, see what kind of engagement that you have. I might have 6,000 followers on Instagram, but when I make a post, I'll have 20 or 30 comments per post. Or if I go live, I might get 10% or 15% of whatever my following is. You know, that's good. That's what I want to see. And if I say to somebody, you should check out X company, then there's going to be a much bigger percentage of my following that's going to go there and potentially convert into customers for you than there would be with some bigger... Just because you have bigger numbers doesn't mean that's going to translate to sales for anybody. Also, these influencers are very happy to just take the free stuff and dilute the talent pool for everybody else. Um, if you have a really big following and you've curated that and it is something that has credibility behind it, then you should be charging whoever is reaching out to you money. Yeah, take free stuff too, but they should also be charging you money. The minute you don't charge somebody money means the next person they reach out, the expectation has been set that maybe that person is happy to just take whatever you can give them for free in lieu of cash. And then the second person does it. The third person does. It. So now they're throwing around terms like ambassador or influencer. But what does that really mean? You know, free shit. Good for you. Free rub, free sauce that covers you. That makes you happy. Okay. But that can really dilute, as I said, the talent pool for everybody else. Because if somebody reaches out to me to want to partner and says, we're going to give you free sauce and rub for a year, 
I can go to 10 different people and get free sausage rub for you. you know, let's talk about cash. Let's talk about a partnership. Let's talk about professionalism and doing some kind of a program over a length of time that we agree on that's going to really give you some type of a return on investment and that you're going to be happy to spend money. Like That's where the expectation should be that brands are reaching out to people with social media followings that are A, credible, that have a good following, they're engaged, that you're going to pay them money. That's where it needs to go because this will all evaporate at some point. Whoever's influencing you now is not going to be influencing you in a year. Very interesting. And and I agree with that. And I should point out that um, that's an important lesson that you've actually taught me as I, as I move into doing different things in barbecue. Don't do stuff for sugar and salt. Do it for money. Right. <laughs> Anything you'd like to leave our listeners with at, as they've made it through this 200th episode? Any tips, tricks, trades, or thoughts you'd like to share? I think if you're doing the 3-2-1 method and you are following by rule the two portion, of that method, dial that back and see if you're not actually making a better rib. Number one, try an hour in the foil. And then try 45 minutes in the foil. And then try 30 minutes in the foil. And then one time, do a three method and then see if they're done. Or cook them till they're done. And then wrap them in foil and then hold them for an hour and see if that makes a difference. I'm a real big rib fan. I love ribs. I have really effed up a lot of racks of ribs over the years. And the biggest change that I made in my rib game was figuring out that the two portion of the three, two, one method, which is widely evangelized, is really, in my opinion, wrong. Good concept, good high level idea, good outline, but in execution, that two hours can really, unless you have a really meaty ass rack of ribs, it can really do a lot of damage. So if you're somebody that is unhappy with your rib game and you're a follower of the three, two, one method by every stretch of that time, then I would say start dialing back the two portion. The three is very important. You want to get the rub set. You want to get the color. You want to do all that stuff. But you know, the two and the one are the bigger variables that you would want to monkey around with to try and give yourself a better result. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, I'm probably just like all of you. Brisket is the bane of my existence. I've yet to really cook a brisket where I thought, man, I am really a good brisket cook. I'm probably nowhere close to saying that. And I've done them on every single cooker that I can get my hands on. But you know what my problem is? I don't do enough. And if you don't practice and you don't take notes and then you don't apply what you wrote in your notes for the next time, you're doomed to fail again. And also, I live in a house where beef barbecue isn't overly popular. So once again, I'm not going to put a 16-pound pack of brisket on a barbecue where I'm going to be the only one stuck eating it for what would then be you know weeks and weeks at a time. Uh, I'll freeze. Of course, but if you don't have a vacuum sealer or a vacuum packer, whatever they call food saver, I think is the the common commodities term. Got to get one of those if you're into barbecue. And then continue to listen to the show because I think it's a very important thing that you're doing, John, which is causing me, the host, to remember things about the show that I have forgotten. And in an embarrassingly incredible admission admission that I'm about to make right now. The show caused me to remember that I don't remember having a off-air conversation with one of the biggest names in the barbecue industry, John Willingham. Until you posted that and said, you know, in a in a chat that we were having offline, "Oh, you know, it was so cool that you had this phone call with John Willingham." I'm like, "Never had a phone call with John Willingham." You said, "Well, the best of that I'm about to post has you talking 
uh, doing like an obituary uh, or eulogizing uh, John Willingham, who had just passed away days earlier before the show came on Tuesday, of you explaining how you had a 10-minute, 15-minute conversation with John Willingham. I don't remember that. I should remember that. And the fact that it was totally lost from my archives to then hear me talking to me about how I had this conversation with John Willingham was both like the best thing about the show and the worst thing about the show that my memory is somehow failing me in that regard. But it also reminds me of all the great things that have happened here and all the funny things and all the great tidbits. And, you know, it was, it it was such a compliment that you just paid that you would say that you think going forward that anybody that is going to be studying barbecue history is going to be able to use this show as reference. You know, I've never thought about it like that, but especially in this day and age, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's easy to go back. It's easy to search. It's easy to find. And not only can they get a full drawn out show, but because of your efforts here over the last 200 episodes, they can get it in tidbits as well and decide if they want to dig deeper. So this is great work that you're doing. We're a great team working together. And as I had said before, there is absolutely zero people that I think I could have turned this over to besides you and you're doing a great job and and I love you for it. I love you too, man. Thank you so much. And thank each and every one of you for listening. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate all of you. None of this happens without you. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the next 100 episodes of the best moments of the barbecue central show in 10 minutes or less. And until next time, I am your host, John Solberg. I look forward to talking to you again soon.